<sighs> December 15, 2019, lecture discussion uh, number 87 on the book of Joel, Daniel, Revelation, and Ecclesiastes. And last Sunday, I addressed the meaning of the sop, the bread, the item of the meal that is given to the honored one at the table. That's John 13, uh, 18 to, through uh, uh, 21, essentially. That was Lucas's question, and I'll read Lucas a little bit more because he deserves the blame. The bread of the sop should certainly connect to the testing of Christ. That again is Matthew 4, Luke 4, Mark 1. But less obvious is the dipping of it. And that was something that he said. And uh, that was uh, he, he has asked something quite profound, obviously. And this is an incredible section in the Gospel of John. The dipping of the sop or the morsel. Uh, your Bible might have it just bread. But I prefer sop or morsel because it sets it apart. And I submit that John contains the most information about it. Uh, though all of the Gospels are necessary to solve the mystery, uh, the mysterious dipping of the sop, the meaning of it. It can't be just arbitrary. This is God who did this. He's sitting there doing this. Uh, and John actually elevates it to something of great importance because he assigns it to an event. And assembling the contextual elements is challenging because there's so many you have to go to all of the Gospels. And for example, and I'm going to leave out a great deal of this, and it's not necessarily going to be in order, so please don't write me again. I seem incongruent. Sometimes by necessity, sometimes because of my agedness. Um, oh, I was going to make the comment uh, before that. I did. I talked to my sister uh, on the phone the other day, and uh, yesterday actually. And you won't necessarily know about her. Some of you do, but um, she's my older sister, Margie, and she has the same heart condition that I have which tells you that it might be genetic. Hers isn't as severe as mine, but this is severe irrespective of the level that you're dealing with. And her daughter had it. Uh, and her, our, my older brother, much older brother, also had it. Uh, so I'm recognizing that uh, uh, it's going to be quite the journey for me. Anyway, it was a wonderful conversation, and I appreciated it very much, and, uh, and I always do. Anyway, why I brought that up, I don't know for sure, other than it uh, has affected me, as it always does. Matthew 26, 14 through 55, my agedness, that's why I did it. Matthew 26, I'm not as bad off as you thought, right there, huh? Matthew 26, 14 through 55, has the meeting of Judas and the chief priests. It has Zechariah 11. This is where the 30 pieces of silver are thrown to the temple potter, knowing that it is the temple potter that's, that's the Zechariah 11 connection. When Judas does that, he knows why he's doing it, and he has Satan inside of him, and he is, it's all intentional and thoughtful. There's the breaking, if you will, in Zechariah 11, the cutting in two of the staff, the idol, I-D-O-L, shepherd, 
Matthew includes the Passover. Judas says, Rabbi, is it I? He's quoted in Matthew 26, 14 through 55. Um, Christ says, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me. So you have the with me involved. The communion is part of this discussion. The cup of Gethsemane, let this cup pass. Judas's farewell kiss. Peter's denial, just to name a few of the things that you have to assemble in order to find out the meaning of the dipped sop or the morsel. Mark 14, 10 through 51 has more information on what Judas said. And he has this certain young man that is naked with a linen covering. I have a naked young man with a linen covering. If I just said that, where would you go in the Bible? Hopefully you'd say Genesis 3, yeah. Adam. There's a connection between that certain man following Christ with a linen, eventually nakedness, and Adam. Mark includes Peter being warmed by the fire and this statement of Christ. I will destroy this temple, Christ says. I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. What does that mean? Do you think you know? What is he talking about? He will destroy this temple. Which temple is that? Is it is temple temple or is temple not temple? That's the question. That make any sense to anybody besides me. Anyway, Mark records the I am of Exodus 3.14. The I am that I am. That is what God says at the burning bush with Moses, correct? And Christ constantly references Exodus 3, 14. He says, I am that I am. It's always I am. Don't need to add the that I am. But I do, just to make sure you always know that it's Exodus 3.14. Luke 22, 1 through 62. Has Satan entering Judas? So does John. So it's necessary. It's very difficult. The Satan man is difficult on its own. But Luke 22.3 is extremely difficult. So I have two places in two Gospels, Luke and John, where Satan enters Judas. And the Satan man is, is uh, before us. The behold... A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. That connects to the dipped sop. That's a directive. That's an order from Christ. And it's amazing. And then there's the behold, my hand, I'm sorry, the hand of my deliverer is with me on the table. With me on the table. What does that mean? Is everybody's hand on the table? What does it mean to be with the hand of Christ on the table? Woe to that man, he said. And that's a behold. And, and also uh, there's the arguing among the disciples as to who is the greatest of the disciples. And Christ has this warning to Peter. He says, Simeon, Simeon. And that tells you that Peter is part of the Simeon prophecy. Simeon, Simeon, Satan has asked for you. When did Satan ask for Peter? When do you think? When was Satan in a place where he could talk to Christ about Peter? Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. 
Obviously, Judas, I'm sorry, obviously, Jesus Christ knew Satan was within Judas. And equally obvious, Jesus and Satan, Judas, were communicating. How long did all of this go? What is the length of time? Always accept that it's likely more time than you are previously inclined to consider. Judas, are you delivering the Son of Man with a kiss? Christ says to him. This is God talking to the Satan man. And and he's asking him a question. God asks a question, right? He's never asking for himself. He's omniscient. Luke 22.51 has Christ saying, Permit this as he restores the cut off ear of the servant of the high priest. Permit this. Who's who's the permit this in that sentence? This is the hearing restored, if you will. And Luke quotes Christ's statement to the Pharisees. Uh, Again, this stuff is just mind. It, It takes so much energy to work your way through it. And it's hardly ever done because why? It takes so much energy. And it's very hard. Christ says this to the Pharisees. When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour. The hour and power of darkness. This is the power of darkness. And again, I left out so much. But hopefully you're getting some idea of the scope of the question uh, that Lucas has given. All of those lead to the meaning of the dipped sop. John 13:26. After Christ gives the dipped sop to Judas, Satan responds, if you want to think of it that way, and I think it's appropriate, and enters Judas, and we have the Satan man, and that's something that Christ sees, duh. Christ would see that, wouldn't he? That's something he saw, but what's the obvious question? Who else saw it? Who else saw Satan enter Judas. John had asked, who is the one who will deliver you to the Pharisees? Who is the one that will identify you to the Pharisees? Notice I didn't say betrayal. I've covered this many times in the past. How do you betray omniscience? So betrayal doesn't fit. The word actually is deliver. And and so keep that in mind. I have literally, because I am weird, Bill the, the fast made me weird. I have literally gone through my Bible and, and crossed out all of the betrayals because I know that you cannot betray an omniscient God. The omniscient God. So John asked, who, who is the one who's going to deliver you to the Pharisees? Who's the one essentially that's going to identify you? And obviously the Pharisees, as you read the scripture, they, they could not recognize him. They had great difficulty knowing who he is and who he was and where he's going. He could walk through them, and he did. It's hard to catch somebody that can walk through you. He's had a foundational understanding of quantum mechanics that we can't even imagine. Quantum physics, molecular, the micro level of creation. The Pharisees did not know him. They were blind to him. They couldn't even hear him. And anyway, Jesus tells John that it is Judas, 
by handing the sop to Judas. And Matthew implies, as I just read to you, that they dipped the sop together. Who holds it with me, he says. And so start to evaluate that. Then Christ says, and orders the, the Satan man, what you do, do quickly. It's literally, do what you choose to do now. It's an order. Do it now. Don't wait anymore. Now. Go. Why? Why more quickly? Why does the Satan man comply? Well, that's a dumb question. He can't help but comply. And again, there are feast days involved here. This is so funny because Amanda is not here today. But Amanda, when I would say feast days, she wants a two-second interval. Because all she would hear for all these years was feast days. So now I have to say feast Days. That's what I have to do, or it comes out the stays. Obviously, the seven feast days are involved here. The Passover, the unleavened bread, and first fruits. They are part of this, and Christ had a timing that he wanted, and he made Satan and Judas, the Satan man, the Satan Judas, he made them do it his way, his timing. Just in case you think he's not in control of his crucifixion. Which so many believe today happened to him against his will. That is a level of ignorance in the church that uh, is a great sadness. Last Sunday, I hope, I said it last Sunday, I'm not sure that I did and so... Many times I, I don't follow what I write. That's a big shock to no one. So I don't remember if it's not written down if I said it. And I hope I said, what is the it? Did I say what is the it last week? Was anybody here besides me? Anybody awake, including me? Who remembers? We were all passed out. What is the it? It's the it that comes. There's an it that does come to pass. Christ says, when the it does come to pass, you may believe I am. So he's telling them something is going to come to pass, and he calls it an it. John 3.19. Something will come, and when it comes, notice how I said that, something. It's a something will come. Something will come, and when it comes, the disciples will believe Christ is the I am that I am of Exodus 3.14, because they'll go, this something did come just exactly as he said it would come. Hopefully that makes sense. Again, that's Moses burning bush, 3.14. Jesus tells his disciples, before the it comes to, to pass, so that when they look back, they'll know. So what is the it? John 3.18 identifies the it. He even tells them what the it is so that they'll know that he is the I am that I am. The it is Psalm 41.9. Christ says, he that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. 
And that is the it that will come. Notice the emphasis in that verse of the heel. Because that's very perplexing. That obviously is the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. And yet it is saying that someone has lifted up his heel against Christ. Very puzzling. Why does God use this prophecy, Psalm 41.9, the lifting up of the heel? He puts the heel with the bread. I have bread and heel. Because of Genesis 3.15, we might have expected that the it would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. But Psalm 41.9 says the it lifts up his heel. Why does the it that comes lift up his heel? It almost like he's exposing it. I have the ability because of my, I was 189.2 pounds. I'm within nine pounds of wrestling for the state high school title. I can lift up my heel. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty much all without a rope and a pulley. But that's not bad. Pull the hamstring right there, but I'll deal with the pain. Anyway, um, why does it, why it's the lifting up of the heel? You would think it would be bruising the heel of the seed of the woman. And obviously we're going to have to investigate it. Isn't he exposing his heel? Or is he going to use his heel as a weapon, kung fu fighter? What's going on here? John 13, 21. When Jesus had said these things that I just tried to cover in a weird way. When Jesus said these things about the heel, about the sop, about that which it that comes to pass, he was troubled in his soul. And testified and said, I tell you a truth, the truth. One of you will deliver me. Again, recognize this delivering theme that's in the Bible. Because that's what's at play here. The word testified in that, in that verse, followed by I tell you the truth, is a legal procedure, if you will. That's a trial witness context. An oath. He is the judge and the witness simultaneously because he has omniscience and he's infinite. That's another story. I have a piece of carrot in my mouth. Why do I have carrot? Because I can't have pumpkin rolls or cake or anything that's any good ever again. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to, you're th- talking about the, uh, the hidden, yeah, the, the hidden uh, precious things of God. Yeah, I, I'll have to get back to you. I don't know. I should know. But you're right. Those are precious things of God and they have a symbolism to them. But this is something that is uh, coming and it is obviously of uh, uh, great difficulty. So I'm not totally positive that there's a relationship, but there's always a relationship. It's just waiting to be found. So what, where am I? Here I am as a professional. Why is God in the flesh, the God-man, so troubled about this? Because it, w- w- what troubles him? Let's just ask that question again. 
What causes God to groan in his soul? Because that's what it's saying. And he testifies of the, this oath, this truth that he, do, that he gives to them. And the answer to that, yea, an answer, the only one of the day, he, he groans and he is saddened and sorrowful over the deaths of the lost. He weeps for those who reject his saving blood. Gethsemane in the cup is Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Lazarus's graveyard, John 11, 38. The voice from above, Matthew 12, 27, 28. Hebrews 5, 6 and through 11. All of those are illustrative, if you will, are illustrating Christ God weeping, as you see also in Genesis 6. That's what makes God weep. All of those are God himself in the flesh, not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9. He does not, he never does, he does not weep for himself. Get that out of your vision field. So John 13, 21, Christ is troubled for someone who has chosen death as God defines it. That's why he's troubled. He is mourning them. He sees them outside of time, doesn't he? The one who lifts up his heel will perish and has chosen to deliver the only one who can save. And here we have this good from evil, life from death. Those who, are, who pursues life and who pursues death. We have some that pursue life and some that pursue death. Good from evil. The one who lifts up his heel... The one who will come, the it who will come to pass, has chosen to deliver the only one who has life. The only one who can restore the soul to the body. And he's going to deliver him to the Pharisees. That makes no sense on the surface, but it makes incredible sense below the surface. It is ridiculously complex. Do not settle for the shallow even though the shallow is important. I want you to reach past the traditional views here, even though they are probably uh, valid. Obviously, the Pharisees cannot kill God. They can't. They think they can because they're what? Stupid. That's why they're stupid. He's delivering them to the Pharisees precisely because they're stupid. He's not stupid. This is Judas and Satan combined. The Pharisees don't even know who Christ is. They're completely powerless as are all created things with respect to the omnipotent God. They, they can't even see him. They're blind to him, as I said before. The, the Pharisees are totally incapable of capturing Christ. But they think they can. And why do they think they can? Because they're stupid. And someone likes them to be stupid. It serves their purpose. Notice how I said that. But the Pharisees... Incapable of capturing Christ. Jesus Christ cannot be taken and he cannot be delivered. You can't control him. He's uncontrollable. He cannot be betrayed. He's omniscient. He's outside of time. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. 
Taking and seizing and delivery and betrayal are not applicable to infinity, to the infinite, infinite God. And the Satan man, the Satan Judas, knows that because he's not stupid. Relatively, he is, but not compared to us. Satan man and Satan Judas know that you cannot deliver, betray, kill, seize, take the infinite God. So what's the point then? The point is, yay, a point. I have to help you. It's not nearly as funny. The point is this interaction between the God man and the Satan man is on a much different level than what is typically considered. Don't be those that consider it at this low level. Consider it at the highest possible level. It is not simple. Don't love the simple. What is being discussed by them with them in their they, they have a they have an operational communication that is inside everyone else's communication. Hopefully that makes sense. There's all of this going on and then inside is something un- unbelievable. What is being discussed is the bruising of the heel, Genesis 3.15. Do not make the common mistake of assigning simplicity to the bruising of the heel. It is far more than you could ever imagine. Okay, anyway, I have the bread and the heel put together. I have the sopped, the sop, I'm sorry, dipped into the soup or the gravy, the whatever water, uh, uh, colored, I guess is not the word I want, uh, Whatever it is that has made it gravy, gravy or soup, it is water-based. And, and the sop dipped into the soup is to be given to the honored one, the one of honor, the friend, Matthew 26, 50. Remember that Judas, uh, that when Jesus asked Judas Satan a question, he says it this way. He says, friend, why have you come? Calls him friend. That connects to the sop because the friend, the honored friend, the beloved friend got the sop dipped. And so recognize that connection. This makes Judas answer a deeper question. Why have you come? I offered you the sop. And yet you came. Why have you come? See, it comes after the sop. Satan comes after the offered sop. Omniscient God asks a a question of the friend who ate the sop. Now, I'm going to write it this way. Becomes really important. When I, when I put, let's just jump way ahead, way past page seven and go completely crazy just because I'll never find my way back. When I write eight on the board, where am I? I'm at Genesis three. Okay, so we leaped way ahead, didn't I? The question is asked Immediate in response to Judas Satan's command. In other words, friend, why have you come? Is asked immediately or in response to Judas and Satan. They command that army. That's a huge army, a great multitude. Matthew 26, 48. It's huge. And Judas Satan say this. 
Whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. That should have been followed with good luck with that. It's not in the text, but I'm proposing an addendum here. Whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. Obviously, the Satan man had no expectation that Christ could be seized. So what did they expect when these idiots tried to seize him? This great multitude, this army. John 18 records Christ pinning the entire great multitude army to the ground, to the dust, by saying, I am that I am. Exodus 3.14. They are in the ground. And he asked them, God asked the multitude army, whom do you seek? And they answer what? Do you know? They answer Jesus of Nazareth. And they're answering that from the dust. Genesis 2.7. From which their bodies are made. Ecclesiastes 12. Jesus, they answer Jesus of Nazareth. He corrects them. I have told you that I am. That I am. That's what he says. Which means that he is the infinite God of creation. Keep in mind, the Satan man is also in the dust. The friend who ate the sop. Ate. It has to be decided, doesn't it? It's assumed that he ate the sop. Did Satan enter him before he ate the sop or after he ate the sop? Figure out your timeline. So far to this point, their calculations, Satan man, Satan Judas, have been absolutely accurate. It's going exactly as they thought it would. A whole army in the dust in front of the I am that I am. No way they're going to seize this guy. What if they keep trying? What happens here? So far, again, every calculation has been exactly, I believe, as they considered. But that's going to change. You see, Christ asks, God asks, Judas, are you delivering the Son of Man with a kiss, Luke twenty-two forty-eight. He didn't say, Judas, are you delivering me? He didn't say, are you delivering Jesus of Nazareth? He didn't say, Son of God. He said, Son of Man. Now, did he just choose one arbitrarily? No, he didn't. He went back into Daniel. Why have you come, Matthew 26, 50? Friend, why have you come? Are you delivering the Son of Man with a kiss? Two questions that connect to the sop. Be, begin analyzing these questions presented to the Satan man from the position that God knows the answer. That's the only way it's ever going to work for you. Any time you read a question that God asks, acts, Whatever you pronounce it nowadays. Miss Kelly told me that when I wrote Chronister, 
If I didn't have every single letter in there, I would get an F. I got every single letter in there my entire life. This is how people right now sign their name. Miss Kelly hates you. You must have every single letter. And my name, of course, was Stephen. And it took me forever. Not nearly fair. Other people was Ruth, whatever, Smith. And I, if I left out the R or I left off the I, she would put a big red F over my paper, over my name. It was her way of convincing me that uh, the details mattered. Details don't seem to matter anymore in language. Hacks can mean anything. Sounds like you're choking on something. Handwriting's disappeared. Here's my way of typing. People wonder why it takes me so long to answer their email. Why don't you get this voice thing, they say to me. Dragon. Yeah. Because I'd talk just as slow as I typed. Anyway. Uh, analyze these questions. Are you delivering the Son of Man with a kiss? Friend, why have you come from the position that God has asked them because they connect to the sop? And that's ultimately going to lead to why Jesus gave the dip sop to Judas within the Passover meal. If God knows, duh, and asks, and Judas I'm sorry, if God knows and Judas Satan knows, why is the question even being spoken aloud? If, if I know and you know and I know that you know that I know that you know, why would we even say anything? We know. These are two, we have creator God, infinite God, and we have the Satan man. They don't need to speak aloud to each other. But they do. Who is listening is really the question. Why speak the questions aloud? How loud of a voice do they, do they, are they using here? And if it's not for each other, then who is it for? Who's listening to this? Who's watching it? Let's make a list. I have Pharisees and religious leaders. They're there. I have the multitude, the army. I have the disciples. Those are the easy ones. Christ and Satan are once again, Matthew 4, Luke 4, Mark 1, they're engaged once again. Who would have an interest? Who saw this the first time it happened? Because now it's happened how many times? It happened at Matthew 4, Luke 4, Mark 1. It happened at Genesis 3. And now it's happening again. And it's going to happen again. Who's watching it? This is obviously Genesis 3.15. It's the bruising of the heel and the crushing of the head. 
Who besides Eve, Adam, and Satan watched and listened to the trial? Who else was there? Animals? Well, I'm clearly proposing that it is a certainty that the angelic realm has assembled and is close by both sides. And their expectation would be that this would be the wounding or the bruising of the heel followed by the death blow. They would assume, would they not, that this is Genesis 3.15. Didn't happen early. Didn't happen with Cain and Abel. Hasn't happened until Matthew 4. Looked like it was going to happen. Didn't happen there. It's going to happen now. We're in Gethsemane. We got an army we got another army. we got a third army. we got all of these people. Angels. This has got to be the wounding, bruising of the heel, followed by the death blow. And that would explain the kiss. You see, that's how the kiss fits. It's the wounding and the fatal blow as proclaimed at Genesis 3.15. That would be what I would think the logical expectation. But as often is the case in Scripture, the wounding and the death blow are not contemporary, are they? We know that now. They're separated by thousands of years. And that's how the Bible is often written. There's these periods of time in one sentence. Judas would eat the sop, or did he? What have you decided? How many, if you can move over to this, the left, my left, my frame of reference. You can move to the bad side of the auditorium where no one sits. Okay, they outnumber the right. If you think that he ate the sop, raise your hand. Left hand. If you think he didn't raise the sop or eat the sop, don't raise your hand at all. (laughs) Okay. Are you right about that? What is your calculation? This is Psalm 41.9. It isn't a coincidence that Passover and communion are the context of all of this. So you'll have to read Psalm 41.9 and decide what's going on. Notice also the irony of Judas taking the sop. Because Matthew implies, as I said, that it's hand in hand. So if this were the sop, it is being done like this. I have Judas taking the sop. I have Eve taking the fruit, Genesis 3, 6. I have the broken communion bread, don't I? Take, eat, this is my body. Take, take, take. Bread is his body. The choice piece was given to Judas after it was dipped Or before it was dipped, you have to decide when did the dip happen. By God, it was given. Then at that moment, Satan and Judas combined. Again, you have have a timeline. And figure it out. Here Here is the sop. Here is the sop dipped. Here is Satan Judas. Where are they? How's it go? Did Judas take the sop and dip the sop with Christ? Did he eat the sop? 
When did the injuring happen? Papers are due on Friday. And, and Lucas, again, who's to blame for all of this, said in his letter, Bread is a common theme in Matthew 4, Luke 4, and John 13, Matthew 26, and it's not a coincidence. In other words, he has put the bread, he has said, there's something about this sop that takes me to the testing of Christ in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. So what exactly did Christ offer to Judas? What is the choice piece of bread? What is the honor that he is bestowing on Judas? Why is it dipped? Why is it, why, what does the dipping signify beyond the honored guest aspect or the choice morsel? What is Christ saying here? Is he saying, and the angels are witnessing what he's saying to Judas, and Satan is right there. Was it offered to Satan? Ever. Is this have something to do with the accusation of Satan that he has made his lie of Ezekiel 28:16? Isaiah, I'm sorry, yeah, Isaiah 14. Is this accusation being destroyed here by God? In other words, what does God assign to the act of the dipping of the bread, the higher meaning of it, if you will? If the sop, the morsel, is a symbol of what you're thinking, extended grace of God, it's a symbol of the extended grace of God, the offered hand of salvation. And again, was it once held by both of them simultaneously, which seems to be the most logical that it is a symbol of the extended grace, the offered hand of salvation. That seems to be the logical conclusion here. Even if that's the case, and, and likely it is, there remains the duality to reconcile. Because I have the bread and the water soup, if you will. The bread and the dipping. I have two parts of this. And again, Lucas, remember Matthew 4, 4 and Luke 4. Man does not have life by bread alone. There's a duality to life. Existence is a duality. Here's the key question. I see you. I've only got 30 pages to go, so thank you. <laughs> Let me. Uh... Is there a holding of the sop with God? Take out, a, take it out of the literal and move it into the. I take it out of the symbolic and move it into the actual. See where we're headed in this. See why existence comes in, like will comes in? There's a hand extended. What is your role? Do you have a role? This is back to the axe head, right? Exactly what it is. Take it. There's the axe head. Bend down, take it out of the water. Take the sop. And that's why Lucas brought Matthew 4 and Luke 4 in, into his question. Because he recognized immediately the existence, the definition of existence here. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the breath of God. Bread and breath. Bread and breath of life is existence. Christ is placing before Judas the issues of Matthew 4, Luke 4, Exodus 17, 1 through 7, and Genesis 3. But he's reversed the roles. Can you see that? Where before it was Satan trying to get Eve to take and eat. Christ is now trying to get Judas 
to take and eat. One who's trying to get Eve to take and eat death. See? And the entire angelic realm is watching as they always do. One final point, yea, a final point. Before I start today's lecture. Hi Susie, hi Val Joe. The body of Moses, Deuteronomy 34, 7, had not weakened, his eyesight not reduced, his vitality had not diminished, but yet he died. Moses is the prophet unto Christ. In other words, Deuteronomy 18.15. He says to Israel, when you want to find the Messiah, look at what I've done because he's going to replicate it at this level here. He's going to use me. I know that. How did he know that? How would you like your life to be a type of Christ in everything you do? He does it at this level Moses knew that was going to happen. He also knew it wasn't going to be everything, but there's going to be some things. Striking the rock twice is incredible because Christ replicates it, right? Most people don't get that very often. Striking the rock once. Why, where is this striking the rock twice? Anyway, I'm getting off track because I, I get annoyed. Moses knew he was a type of Christ because God told him he was, and that, and he's the most documented type of Christ in Scripture. And his body is specifically defined in death. Michael stands up and contends with Satan over the body of Moses. As you know, Jude 9, two armies form again over that. Something must be the complement in the New Testament. Obviously, Christ's body, Moses' body did not diminish at all, and yet he died. Body, Christ's body cannot, does not go to corruption. Psalm 16.10, Acts 2.27. The holy one, the holy thing, versus the evil thing, the holy thing, Luke 1.35, will not see corruption, will not decay. Moses' body performs a dim portrait of that which is incomprehensible. The body of God, dead, but sinless. How can you have death without sin? And therefore, some people will say that it is permeated with sin. You've got to figure out Psalm 16.10 then. The Holy One will not go to corruption. The body of God dead, not subjected, subject, subjected to disintegration, to putrefaction. That is the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. Anyway, this relationship, Moses' body and Christ's body, is of particular interest and deserves intense investigation, which we shall endeavor to accomplish soon. Soon is a relative term. Okay, how much time do I have left? It says I have ten minutes. You say I don't. Who is right? You or clocks? Apparently her. Okay, last Sunday was my typical shallow presentation of the four, uh, some would say five, if you count the Assyrians, because they would be the ten lost tribes coming back, right? But this is my four groupings of the Jews who will be in the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel 12.1, Joel 2.11, Jeremiah 37. For that day is great so that none is like it. 
and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he, Israel, shall be saved out of it. Anyway, there are the four types of Jews, if you will, in the tribulation. I covered that last week. I'll cover it in January 12th when we come back. But today, just the 144,000, because I don't have as much time as the clock says, apparently. I identified the 144,000 of Revelation 7. Those are Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. And I said that they will energize, I'm sorry, they will evangelize the world. I can't read my own handwriting. They will evangelize the world. They will fulfill the original assignment, the manifest destiny, when you want to think of it that way, of the nation of Israel. And they will go forth into all the world proclaiming the truths of the I am that I am of Exodus 3.14. That was what they were to do. They refused to do it. They didn't love the Gentiles. They hated the Gentiles. And for that they were dispersed into the world as a symbol. But now the 144,000, I said, will go lovingly and obediently and joyfully into the world to evangelize the world and and I did not give I, I received a, a question uh, through YouTube I did not give my reasoning behind that because I've done it many times in the past and I just forget because I'm aged and it's not my fault obviously it turns out to be my sister's fault I worked all day on that joke not you, the older sister. You're just the younger sister. You don't count. Well, he's wrong. He, did, he was asleep when I discussed this earlier, like all the rest of them who didn't laugh. Anyway, Jesus himself says, Matthew 24, 14, he answers the three questions of Matthew 24, 3, and he tells us the role of the 144,000. And to understand that, uh, to repeat this part, Christ does not answer the three questions in order. The three questions are, when will the Jerusalem, the city, and when will the Jerusalem temple be destroyed? That's number one. What is the sign of your coming for the Jewish nation, your return for us as Messiah? That's question two. And what is the sign of the end of the age, the age that is before the Messianic kingdom? And Jesus answers the third question first, the first question second, and the second question third. And if you don't have that, then off into the ditch you will go, as I've said many, many times previously. Therefore, Matthew 24, 14. He says this, And this gospel will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all of the nations, and then the end shall come. There's your 144,000. It's a tribulational reference. It's a tribulational event. He identifies also the abomination of desolation. And the abduction of the bride eliminates the church from being the one that goes into the world, all of the world. Because it's gone, Revelation 4.1, Matthew 25, and 1 Thessalonians 4.16. So that leaves Revelation 7, 1 through 17, as the remaining possibility, the 144,000. And so, again, it's a tribulational event. Okay, finally... Homework assignment, have to read really fast. Because you're gone, next week is not a lesson so much as it is a, a ceremony. So I have to read this. Daniel 10. Ready? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called 
Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. I understand his agony. No meat or wine. Is it for me? Is it really? No. It's never for me. Publishers Clearinghouse has promised over and over again that they would call me. Look at what has happened. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, nor no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. He should try my diet for six months here. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen. So I have a certain man clothed in linen. Remind you of anybody? Hope so. Whose waist was girded with gold of upas. His body was like burl. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like torches of fire. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. That's Revelation 1, 9 through 20, isn't it? I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. The opposite of who? Moses. Yes, I heard the sound of his words and yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face on the ground. That's Gethsemane, except for the deep sleep part. Who's the deep sleep part? Adam. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees on the palm of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, great man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one, having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips, then opened my mouth and spoke to saying to him, then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retain no strength for how can this servant of my Lord talk with you my Lord as for me no strength remains in me now nor is any breath left in me then again the one having the likeness of man touched me and my strength returned and strengthened me and he said oh man greatly beloved fear not peace be with you be strong yes be strong and when he spoke to me I was strengthened and said let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me 
Then he said, do you know why I must I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you that what is noted in the scriptures of truth. No one can uphold me against these except Michael, your prince. So very complicated. Here's your questions. Who is the certain man clothed in linen? Again, Revelation 1, 9 through 20 will help you. Why didn't the men with or with Daniel not see the certain man? Because they didn't see the certain man. Why not? How come they were blind to him? Did they hear him? They heard something because they have great terror. Who are these men who have great terror? Look at Genesis 35, 5. Why is Israel Daniel alone? Revelation 4, 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Without strength. Daniel can hear, but he's in a deep sleep. It's Adam, Genesis 2.21. Is the one who touches Daniel the certain man? Did the certain man touch Daniel, or did somebody was there somebody else there? Michael is mentioned. Is he there? If not, who is touching the person, who is touching the hand who fought Satan's forces for 21 days? Does that sound like Christ to you? If Christ is fighting for 21 days... Why is he doing that? Is he tired? Explain the behold of Michael. Let me repeat, though, just in case. Is the certain man who's described in Revelation 1, 9 through 20, the same one that suddenly a hand touched me that touches and made Daniel tremble? Explain that behold of my, behold Michael. Is the one who causes speechlessness having the likeness of the sons of men? Philippians 2.7, Ezekiel 1.26. The one who opens the mouths of prophets? Jeremiah 1.9. Is that the certain man that did that? Or is that Michael? Or is that this other guy? Who do you think they say the other guy is? Gabriel. How many are here? Is it three? January 12th. God willing, in the creek stone rise, we will answer those questions.